word to us. We're going to turn the projector off so that there's no lights in my eyes. And we're going to follow what Pastor Tom prayed yesterday, today. But whatever the Holy Spirit has to say, that's what we're going to follow. So the best laid plans of Dr. Carl, if you want the notes, they're in a PowerPoint presentation in a computer locked in the back of this room. And uh, here's how I fix my computers. Megan, anyway, she's younger. She comes, she fixes it. So uh, if you're not below the age of 30, uh, you read real books, you <laughs> go to real services, listen to real sermons. Today, four people go to dinner and sit at the table, and each one of them is texting the other one at the table. <laughs> so how many don't mind if the Holy Spirit interferes today? Amen. For that, I'm very grateful to Pastor Tom to give us the freedom, the liberty to follow the Holy Spirit. When I was called to the ministry, in 1960, the Lord used two verses of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, where he discussed that he was giving apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints for the work of their ministry. So humbly, my job is really to help you do yours. Uh, if you want to know how impressed I am with myself, uh, the BS I got as a degree stands for itself. <laughs> MS means more of the same. And the PhD piled higher and deeper. And uh, if you think about the honorary degrees of DDS, it just means doubly dumb. Uh, not very impressed with myself. I do love Jesus. And I'm incurable in that regard. And uh, I do love the word, whether it's spoken or written or made flesh. All three versions of Jesus have the same power. I'm smart enough to know that you're a dirt bag. You were made from dirt. And I'm not going to do Pastor Mobley's joke at this point. But you're all dirt, and the bag is your skin. And you all just came from the dining hall where you ate dirt extract. <laughs> Call it radishes if you like, or vegetables, but you're eating what you're made out of. And that's God's wonderful recycling plant. How many prefer dirt in the form of a banana? Anyone ever tried mud pies as a child? How many are grateful God spends the time to turn it into a cucumber here and there? My favorite food is peanut butter. I like peanut butter on apples, on bananas, on sandwiches, jar with a spoon. 
chocolate, oh my. So I thank God every morning for the peanut butter treat. When I was younger, I ate the chunky kind. When he called me to ministry from Ephesians chapter 4, he said, you're not a monorail. Your calling is not just to be an educator. I want you to also, in John 17, if you don't mind turning to verse 11 and verse 21 of John 17, because this is kingdom speak. People in the kingdom. The kingdomites need to learn God speak. Jesus has spent John 13, 14, 15, and 16 in a Jewish Bible study called a yeshiva. Yeshiva in Hebrew means you get to interrupt the teacher anytime you want to and ask a question. How many long for the days like that in the church house? And a yeshiva starts on a subject, but when a student asks the question, the subject changes. So they go on little rabbit trails. How many like a rabbit trail once in a while? How many have ever had your brain wander while a speaker is speaking simply because they hit a nugget and you followed the vein? So the Lord said, I want you to bring unity to the body of Christ because the problem in the first chapters of 13, 14, 15, and 16, the disciples were in school studying with Jesus. That's my first call, to study. But they weren't getting it. And they didn't get it because they wanted to know how and when and why and how is this going to look and how is it going to work out. And Jesus said, all I want you to do is believe it. I was the Father, and I became man to dwell among you to save your souls. Show us the Father, then we'll believe. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Folks, the Bible study with Jesus, John 13 through 16, the questions are always short, and Jesus' answers got longer and longer and longer. And finally, the disciples said, shut up. Don't ask him another question. <laughs> and then in John 16, he said, in the last part of the chapter, when they said, all right, we get it. You were God. You came to earth as man to redeem us, and now you're going back to be God again. We get that. And then he says in verse 31, ah, now that you believe. Not now that you believe. Then he turns to the Father after his disciples got it. Because kingdom people always want to know how, why, when, and all God wants you to do is what? Believe. believe. Tough to do when you're a German architect. I want to understand everything. Just believe. And he says, Father, they got it. Glorify me now on the earth as I have glorified you. Look at verses 11 and 21. Make them what? What was the problem in Romans 14, 17? The kingdom of God is not meat or drink where we judge one another and get segmented. We are what? One. one. This is kingdom talk. 
I don't care what color your skin is, your age, or your gender. I'm telling you, you are echad. You are one. And Jesus previously was trying to get Jews to accept Gentiles. Can you imagine? Because today we have the reverse problem. Gentiles don't want to accept the Jews. Anytime you hear anything Jewish, everybody puts up the cross. Folks, I want to tell you, we are phobic about the subject simply because we have been taught incorrectly. Please don't blame your pastor. They were quoting German theologians. In the last 200 years, they had it wrong. And we keep preaching stuff that is not even biblical. So when Jesus says, make them one, how many now know we can't judge one another? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, not on what you do or do not do. Oh, this is important, because this was the second rail God put me on in ministry. Teach and equip for ministry and bring a measurable unity to the body of Messiah. We always want to say Christ because we're Christians. But the word is Messiah. Jesus said to his disciples, who were Jews, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So the precedent... Son of man, is found in the answer of Peter who says, Atahu Hamashiach ben Elohim, ben Elohim Hayim, the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wait a minute, the question was Son of man. Why are you answering the Son of God? Because in order for Jesus to be whom he is, and the disciples got it, he had to be both human and divine. How many are grateful? God is just and merciful. His justice had to be satisfied because he said, if you disobey my word, thou shalt surely, the wages of sin is, but if I come and take your place, how do you feel about that? I'll satisfy my justice with a human dying in your place. Anybody thankful for the cross and the blood? And all of that that got us adopted into this family. So, Father, I said in 1960, if I'm going to go out there and speak on your behalf, I have to have some training. So I went to my denominational's Bible college. And at age 21, when I entered the ministry, I knew everything. Four years in the ministry, when I was 25, I was a babbling idiot. I knew nothing. My father, who only graduated from the eighth grade, suddenly seemed wiser than I ever thought him to be. I've wondered if he'd gone to school in the last four years, but those things he taught as a child suddenly were real. How many have had your parents grow up as you matured, and maybe they were a little bit right? But this idea of being given the opportunity and the pure pleasure to come at the invitation of Tom and of his father, both friends, is an honor to me not to intellectually entertain you, 
but to move you to action. I want you to be kingdom kids. And if you're going to live in his house, I wanted you to understand something very important about the Apostle Paul. Open your text to Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through chapter 2, verse number 9. And since we don't have the PowerPoint, I'm going to ask a volunteer to read Galatians chapter 1, starting with verse 11, through chapter 2, verse 9. I don't want to do what I did as a Baptist, and that is to truncate songs. We would sing the first and the last verse. Let's read the whole context. Somebody please stand and read Galatians 1. Begin with verse 11 for us, and don't stop till you've gotten through verse 9. divinely revealed to me that I should go. And I put before them the gospel. 
declaring to them that which I preached among the Gentiles, however I presented the matter privately before those of the Jews. For I wanted to make certain by thus at first confining my communication to this private conference that I was not running or had not run in vain, guarding against being discredited either in what I was planning to do or had already done. But all went well. Even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled, as some had anticipated, to be circumcised, although he was a Greek. My precaution was because of false brethren, some men who were Christians in name only, who had been secretly smuggled into the Christian Brotherhood. They had slipped in to spy on our liberty and the freedom which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might again bring us into bondage under the law of Moses. Now be stopping right there, because that's where everybody stops. I hear it all the time. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. And we use this great book to talk about how kingdom kids should live. But suddenly, we're brought into this family of God, heretofore Jewish, and now we're the Gentile adoptees. And the salvation grace continues on to graciously overlook our behavior. And we're looking at Romans 14, 17, and the kingdom of God is righteousness. And the word righteousness, straight as a lance, living according to the word of God. And we hear our Messiah say in John chapter 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so we're free to live under the grace of God. And God says these words through Paul, shall we continue to sin that God's grace would abound? And the answer is quite short. God forbid. How shall we who are dead to the sin live any longer therein? So right away we need an education from a man who gets it. A man who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament who's decidedly Jewish, and I have some good news from this passage. You may not have paid attention to it, but he gave you his pedigree as a Jew. He said, I was a Pharisee, Faras in Hebrew, to love the Torah. He said, I was a Zakan, I was an elder, I was somebody who would be considered a sage. I passed judgment on the Knesset, then called the... Sanhedrin. I was the one who gave authority to go ahead and pass the law in Israel because it conformed to the word of God. Imagine who this man is. I not only knew the Torah, I knew all of the extraneous ways to live. And folks, I want to tell you there is no end to determining whether an olive is kosher or not to be used to make olive oil. It's no end. If you store them on your roof and a bird poops on it, is it kosher? They've covered it. They gave women the right to divorce in the Mishnah, the tradition of men, because her husband stored dog dung in the house. And every woman said, why would you collect dog dung? You, you use animal ways to tan leather. The tannic acid tans the leather. So a tanner would gather manure to get the acid to tan the leather, and this is exactly why Peter is on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house and not down in the house. He wants the sea breeze. Are you with me? <laughs> you have to think these things through sometimes. 
But here is the Apostle Paul who is an expert in the Torah, an expert in the Mishnah. He's a sage. And he said, I was persecuting every Jew who confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, putting them to death. And then I had the veil ripped. I was on my way to Damascus carrying official papers to capture and bring Jews back to Jerusalem for their sentence to death as Stephen. When on the way, the veil was rent into. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? This Jew who had studied the Torah and knew it in detail immediately knew the voice because his first word out of his mouth is, Lord, he knows him. Now all of that learning that he had spent his whole life perfecting suddenly became Jesus on every page of the Old Testament. You can say hallelujah if you want to because that's your apostle who made Jesus Christ abundantly clear from the law, the prophets, and the writings. We call it the book of Romans, but it's really the book of Habakkuk explained, the book of Isaiah explained, the book of Deuteronomy explained, and they find everything they can find about Jesus as the Messiah from all of the Old Testament and make it simple, stupid. And everybody thanks God for the work Paul did. And we read he's at a church one day, and he says to them, Jews and Gentiles, Jesus is the Messiah. And the Jews said, we reject that. And the Apostle Paul said the best thing he ever said to you. I empty my vest. If you're Jewish, you have a vest. You carry your money and your being in this big shirt pocket that has side pockets, not a wallet back here and pockets in your jacket. It's in your vest. The urim and the thumim, in the breast piece of the high priest. Out of it comes blessings or cursings, white stones or black stones. Are you with me? And if you want to bless somebody, you bless them out of your pouch. This is the pressed down, shaken together crowd, isn't it? How many want God to fill your breast pocket so you can bless others everywhere you go? Well, it's either full as a blessing or empty as a curse. And so Paul says to the church who rejects Jesus as the Messiah, I give you an empty breast pocket. How many like John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, and the same became flesh and dwelt among us. Go back and read the context and you will see that that Jesus, our blessing, came out of the breast pocket of God Almighty. I'm here grateful that he not only blessed you with salvation, but with food. This apostle Paul was a genius who got faith in who the Messiah is, and you would think right away he would run with the message. 21-year-old, graduate from Bible college, knowing everything. God's called me to equip the saints and to bring unity to the body of Christ. I'm running with everything. And then I attended a Presbyterian professor's class. Boutrous Abdel-Malik started to tell me about Jesus from Amos, from the book of Genesis. And for nine weeks, I sat in his class 
and I wept uncontrollably. I couldn't stop. He could take it no more, and he said, why are you crying? I said, because I'm so stupid. I can't even ask the questions you're answering. He said, take me by the hand and come up on this mountaintop with me, and when you're at the top, turn around and look at the valley. Gentle way of saying, hang in there, kid. This Apostle Paul, who read and taught and administered in law the Hebrew Scriptures, has something to say to us in Galatians. He said, I didn't get the privilege that Peter had. What privilege did Peter have? A three and a half year Bible college with our Lord, walking this earth, sleeping, eating, preaching, watching the miracles. How many like to have a Bible college experience one-on-one with the Lord Jesus Christ? This lowly fisherman and his brothers had quite a Bible college. Paul, on the other hand, was educated, sophisticated, knowledgeable. What did he do? He said, I went to Bible college for three plus years in the Arabian desert. I had the resurrected Lord tell me from Deuteronomy, from Isaiah, explaining to me who he was. Hallelujah, how many believe that the spiritual revelation is just as sound as the physical revelation? This man who is an intellect. Read this passage again. He said, I didn't go right away after my Bible college was over. Then I went. And this educated man humbly submits himself to a fisherman. And he asks only one question. Peter, you were with him. I only met him by vision. I only met him by revelation in the desert. Do I have it right? Do I have what right? The preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we can have Paul humbly submit to Peter, the intellectual, the educator, submit to the fisherman, then we got some kingdom stuff going on. That's called submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. We need that humility back in this movement. There aren't any big shots, big guns, whatever else. I'm your servant, not your leader, not your doctor, not your whatever. I want to wash your feet. What can I do to serve you? If that's not the attitude of the kingdom of God, then I've missed the point. Now listen carefully in this text. He said, I went to Peter after I went to Bible college, asked him if I had the gospel right before I went to preach it, and then I went back 14 years later. What had happened in those 14 years? Well, he just happened to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And then he says, after I wrote from Galatians to 2 Timothy, took him 14 years to write it, I took all my writings back and I submitted them to Peter. Peter, remember 14 years ago before I went and preached it vocally, I asked, did I have it right? Now I've written back to all the churches I've started and now I want to submit my writings to you. I want you to go over Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and if I don't have it right about Jesus Christ, you correct me. 
Folks, somebody in this place ought to be excited. <laughs> you got the professor going to the fisherman and saying, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. Wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be fun if we knew what Peter had to say after he researched Paul's writings? Wouldn't it be great if we just could hear Peter say, Paul came, he asked me if I had it right, then I sent him out to preach, then he came back 14 years later after he'd written all these epistles, and he still wanted to know what question. Do I have it right? How many like to hear what Peter had to say? I'm glad you asked. Turn to 2 Peter, because Peter wrote about Paul getting it right. 2 Peter, I love this passage in chapter 3. Peter's Greek is so bad in the Gospel of Mark, it needs correction. Matthew is fluent, Luke is beautiful. And when they're not quoting one another, their own writings reveal the character. So Peter's gospel, Peter's epistles, they're a little rough. They're not fine because he doesn't speak Greek. He's translating his Hebrew immediately into what? The Greek New Testament. He's Jewish. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, oh, hey, anyway. I want you to wake up now. Turn to your neighbor and thump him on the ear and say, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Tell him something. I want you to shake this place up. Tell him this, Jesus never one time quoted the New Testament. <laughs> Come on, shake him up. Not one time, neither did Paul, neither did Peter, neither did John. Anybody with me? What did Peter say? Oh, I love these words. Peter the fisherman. After they're talking about the coming of the Lord, which is what we're facing right now, and this is kingdom talk now, Jesus is coming and everybody said, those who make fun of us, that Jesus is not coming. You've been talking about this for years. He said, in that kind of an attitude, nevertheless, we, we kingdom people, verse 13, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. And everybody said, wherein everyone dwells in what? The kingdom of heaven is what? Righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in what? Peace. Are you getting it? The kingdom of heaven is righteousness and peace. Oh, folks. And be without spot and blameless. And account their foolish questions. Consider their foolish questions about the return of the Lord. That the long-suffering our Lord is actually on their benefit. Anybody who mocks you about preaching about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and why isn't he coming like he promised? Say, because he's waiting to save you. Now look what he says. He throws this in like a little crueler donut at this favorite donut place of mine that I'm not allowed to go to, Dunkin' Donuts. I asked Lori one day for a Dunkin' Donut down in Charlotte. She said, they don't make them here anymore. Krispy Kreme, excuse me. When the red light's on. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, by whom? God in the desert. Hath written unto you. Now look what he says. In all of his epistles, 
speaking in them of these things, the coming of Jesus, in which, in Paul's writings, are some things hard to be understood. Peter was an ignorant fisherman, but he'd been three and a half years with Jesus. Paul was an intellectual who had spent time studying the Word of God. He, the intellectual, submitted to he who was the fisherman because he'd been with the Lord. And Peter said, I may not have an easy understanding. How many have noticed that Paul starts a sentence in Ephesians and finishes it in Colossians? How many have noticed that? He's kind of hard to understand. But if you'll stick with it, you'll discover this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is what I want you to discover in this session today. Because this is kingdom stuff. Kingdom talk. Corinthians Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Those who foolishly say we need to throw away the Old Testament need to realize that that was Paul's textbook. And he sent a letter to somebody and said, I'm cold in prison. Send me my coat. Send me my scrolls, but especially the Torah. Please, I'm missing Don't get me started. Don't even ask me the question about this professor at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, head of the religion department. Promise not to ask that question because he said all of Paul's writings are forgeries. He's the head of the religion department at UNC Chapel Hill. So don't ask me that question because I'll I'll go down this trail Promise, please ask me the question. (laughs) He says they're forgeries because he was not an eyewitness. What we've just read, Peter was the eyewitness. Paul was the one alone in the Arabian desert. But Paul went to the eyewitness and said, did I have it right? And the idiot at the University of North Carolina isn't smart enough to read that and teach that to the children. And by the way, he's not writing a biography of Jesus He therefore doesn't need to be an eyewitness. He is a researcher finding Jesus Christ in the Torah. And that's what that professor has done all of his life. Study other people's books, then write his own. And he doesn't even have the intellectual honesty to put down the quotations from where he quotes. Please, the man, don't get me started. You see what happened? (laughs) This, this, This and political things on news, anyway. Do not ask me political questions. No, please, don't ask me. 1 Corinthians 15, even my grandchildren can understand this. What did Paul say? Brothers, I declare to you the what? How many believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? What did he preach? What Peter approved. What was the content of his messages? What does it say? Verse 3. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. Never having one New Testament verse, he preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from the scriptures, the Old Testament. That's your challenge, folks. It's easy to use John, Ephesians, Colossians, 
But you want to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, be the Apostle Paul. Spend three and a half years alone with him. Have him reveal himself to you. Then when you got your degree, go check a fisherman out. Do I have it right? Where did Paul get the gospel? From Genesis. You're looking at me like a deer in the headlights. The gospel of Genesis. The gospel was first preached to Abraham. Turn to the gospel preached to Abraham. We know it as Genesis chapter uh, 22, verses 1 through 19. Now, I'm going to set this crowd on fire if I have to go get the kerosene I brought up here (laughs) because I want you to do something about this kingdom is righteousness and peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. Folks, it's the revelation of Jesus as our Messiah. It's all-encompassing. It changes your lifestyle. Whereas I used to be this, I am now this. The gospel according to Moses. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. And you begin to read from your Bible. And you begin to tick off at least 35 things that are exactly found in the Gospel of John. And we begin, a father takes his son, his only son, whom he loves. Oh, people. That's the Gospel. And this father is asked by God to sacrifice his only son. He had Ishmael. This is the second child born to him, but not to Sarah. There's a first Adam and there's a second Adam. Hallelujah, folks. Isaac is the firstborn son of Sarah and Abraham. And God said, commit him to death. And in the mind of Abraham in Beersheba, Isaac was good as dead. He agreed with God. Oh, people, hang with me for a moment. Because Paul said to Peter, do I have it right? Because I had to get the gospel from Genesis. And I preached the death, burial, and resurrection. Do I have it right? Now that I've written letters to all the churches I found, are they right too? Did I, did I stray anywhere? Somebody get excited. Three days later. It's not the story of the death of Isaac. It's the story of the resurrection of Isaac. And when you look at verses 5 and 19, and when you begin to look at the text, it has Abraham saying to the servants, stay here in the garden, then unnamed. Please, there were people with them who stayed in a garden that later is named Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Both of them had people in the garden with them. And he says to those in the garden, you stay here. I and the lad are going up the mountain to worship God. Somebody get excited, but we're coming back again. 
Wow. Abraham and Isaac went up, but when you look at the last part of the chapter, it only says Abraham came down. Isaac has been removed now. Why? Something so magnificent happened on that mountaintop that the two became one again. How did Jesus come to be man and return back to God? By the death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Hallelujah. We sing it every Easter season. Sing it. Up from the grave he arose. A victor. Oh, folks. How many believe Jesus is God incarnate? Do I have it right, Peter? Do I have it right, folks? Notice in the story, both boys carry wood up the hill. On a hill, far away, stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering. Both boys carried the wood. Isaac looked at his dad just like Jesus looked at his father. And he said, Dad, I see the wood and I see the sacrifice altar. Where is the sacrifice? Look in Genesis chapter 22 and it says, The Lord will provide himself. In Hebrew, he will provide himself as the lamb. And when God's revelation came that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world, it says Abram turned and looked behind. And we're so used to the screen being behind me, we think it means behind me. And we look and we see the ram, a male, caught with a crown of thorns on his head. Is the revelation getting clear to you? He didn't look backwards in space. He looked backwards in time, and he saw the pre-foundational death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When was Christ crucified? Before the foundation. So when Abraham looked back and saw the plan of God all along was to give his only son on this mountain. By the way, this same mountain, those that have been to Israel, they call it Zion today, It was called Moriah to Abraham, and it was called Zion to Jesus in Golgotha by the Greeks. It's the same mountain where the stories took place, same place. Both mothers had miraculous births. Is anybody getting warmed up? This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ preached to Abraham. And Abraham believed, and God credited it to him as righteousness. If I'm going to be on this ship with you, I want you to know. I go to fishermen, lawyers, prophets, architects, all who have a vision. Solomon was an architect. He was a songwriter. He was a horticulturist. He lacked nothing. Wisest man that ever lived. But even he had to see this for himself. So we close with the gospel preached by David to his son Solomon 
It's called Psalm 91. And David says to his son, whoever dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Then verse 2 is the confession. I will say of the Lord, Solomon, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and then the faith to trust. In him I will what? Oh, please, folks. Psalm 91 doesn't have two people, soul winner and the person getting saved. There's a third person standing there listening to this conversation who's listened to David testify to his son, who's listened to his son Solomon get saved, who then listens to David say, oh, now that you're saved, hallelujah, God will protect you in the kingdom. Nothing shall come near your dwelling. Sickness will be dealt with. Do you like this kingdom stuff? And then in verse 13, the Lord's been standing there all the time. He said, David, because he has put his trust in me, I'll do everything for him that you've just said. And then it says at the last verse, and the Lord revealed Jesus to Solomon. He revealed his salvation. Folks, I want to tell you something. Whatever you're going to call this movement from now on, you better have a few people checking out and have peer pressure. Before I ever publish a book, I send it to at least seven scholars. Have them read it and correct me. I write curriculum every day of my life that has to stand the test of scrutiny. It's read by Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Jews. And if I'm not accurate about the text, it comes back on my desk in a heartbeat. I'm used to submitting to peer pressure. But I know a lot of people that have been in the charismatic renewal kind of went off on their own. And they were teaching nine persons in the Godhead. Nine. That the Father had three. The Son had three. The Spirit had three. Nonsense stuff. And I've read kind of silliness about angels having babies with people when the Lord Himself said they are neither given nor received in marriage because of their ignorance of the Torah and the, and the book of Genesis, they make up stuff. Folks, please listen to me. Whatever God's doing on earth, and I happen to believe He's bringing the two bodies into one. Amen. Because in Christ, it's not Jew and Christian, it's Jew and Gentile being both reconciled to God. And the closer we both get to God, the closer we get to each other. Your love for Israel, your love for Israeli music, your love for Hebrew scriptures, all is indicating you want to talk with a Jew. How many in this room have a great friend who is Jewish? You all better raise your hand because his name is Yeshua. I tell you, if you don't speak Hebrew, you need to know someone who does. I want you to give God a praise offering for someone who does, the Apostle Paul. Because he left all of that behind as a mountain of dung. Just so he could lift up for you to see clearly that Jesus is the Messiah. Can you give God a praise offering?
forgive me, but that's my call to the ministry, to equip you, train you for your own ministry. My other job is to bring unity to the body of Messiah. I thought that was a big task back in the 1960s, to get Baptists together with Pentecostals. Then in the 80s, I tried to get Catholics together with Protestants. And now God has called me to bring peace between Jews and Gentiles. It's not your call. It's mine. Those two were kindergarten and high school. I'm talking about graduate school now. To befriend Jewish rabbis and to talk with them, not to them. To talk with them, not about them. So that we can walk then together. Why? I'm very excited about a day very soon when the veil will be lifted off both groups. When the veil will be lifted off the Jews and they'll see that Jesus is Messiah and the veil will be lifted off of the kingdom of Gentiles so that they can learn that the kingdom of God is righteousness. Following, and if you love his commands, you will obey, if you love him, excuse me, you will obey his commands. And the commandment is not to love one another. How then do I love? Love's the motivator. Why don't I commit adultery? I love this woman. Why don't I steal? Because I love Tom. Why don't I bear false witness? Because Jim Jackson is as close to me as my own earthly brother. And I can go around the room, and every one of you, the reason why I obey the commands of Jesus is out of love for him and love for you. Which commandments have been done away with? The ordinances. Let's celebrate. How many are glad you didn't bring a turtle dove, a sheep, or a cow to Montreal? The ordinance has been abolished in his flesh. Can you get excited? How many are grateful we don't have to build the temple in Jerusalem? But how many are building the temple in Atlanta? So some he's moved where? Jeremiah 31. He moved them where? To our hearts. Yes, you're not under the ordinances. There's no priesthood. There's no Moses, Aaron, Leviticus, none of that. But how many are grateful that you do have a priest? His name is Malki Zedek, my king of righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. The others will take time. This whole thing that keeps us apart is not only that Jesus is the Messiah, but it also is, we sure like a ham and cheese sandwich. <laughs> Those of you that don't get the pork issue probably aren't going to like it much when he takes away shrimp and lobster with drawn butter. <laughs> but if you don't like those, he does have something kosher for all of you. Grasshoppers. May God bless you. <laughs> 